Welcome back, everyone. Unpolished MBA took somewhat of a summer break while we were waiting for something to come through. Well, it finally arrived, and I'm happy to announce that Unpolished MBA has been granted a trademark to protect our brand and what we're building. See, this all started as just an idea, an experiment during the pandemic, but it gained a little traction and interest, so I've taken it a step further to assure that we can keep building while safeguarding the brand. The craziest thing about all of this is that I did it by myself, the application all the way through to the end, and I am in no way an attorney at all. But I figured, hey, why not? I can figure this out. And, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Well, from there, I was off to the races. But if you think about it, that's pretty much how many people found their businesses or found their startups. Sometimes we fly by the seat of our pants. And if it doesn't work out, oh, well, we've learned many lessons along the way. This is just one of those times where it did work out. And I'm proud of it. But most importantly, I'm open to sharing what I did if it'll help others. And that's the whole premise of the Unpolished MBA podcast. Every guest on the show is open to sharing their journey and lessons learned to help others. And with that in mind, let's jump into the next episode. Now, typically I start the Unpolished MBA with asking people two questions and I think I'm going to continue that. We're starting off on a new foot here, but I think I'm going to continue that because there's so much emphasis on whether or not you can be a great entrepreneur based upon your education, which I don't believe that to be true, but <laughs> you're going to come to us from a health tech perspective and that may or may not be true. So let me ask you this question. The same question I asked everyone else, entrepreneur or corporate employee? A combination of both. That's great. Okay. <laughs> MBA or no MBA? No MBA. Okay. So Tamara, I would love for you to describe to the audience what it is that you do. It's very interesting, everyone. I just want to give you a precursor, but describe to everyone what it is that you do in the entrepreneurial aspect of your career. And then, you know, the corporate side too. Yeah, so in the entrepreneurial side of my career, I started my medical device consulting business. And in that business, I work with small startup medical device companies to help them primarily with their clinical evidence. And I also am a patent agent, so I have helped some of my clients with their patent portfolios. So when you say you help some of your clients with their patent portfolios, what does that mean? So I've had clients who have looked to me to help round out their subject matter expertise when actually writing their patents. So I've actually worked with clients where I wrote their specifications and worked with them to take their ideas and put together their patentable ideas in their patent specification. Okay. So what I see a lot in my world, because, you know, applying for patents is expensive. I see the entrepreneurs do most of the most of the writing. So it sounds like you're someone that can be engaged to help with that. And then once they do all of that, then they give it to the attorney. And it seems like the attorney doesn't do much. I, I don't know. I'm not hating on the attorneys, but I'm guessing from what you're saying, you're part of that process when the entrepreneurs have to basically kind of write the information, the specifications for their own patent. 
Absolutely. I can help them to gather their research thoughts into what's novel and put it together in a form that they can give to the patent attorney who would then do the work with me on the claims or do the claims themselves and take care of the patent after it's filed and file the responses, et cetera. But I really kind of focus on helping folks put together, move their ideas to the patent specifications. Oh, that's awesome. We're going to take a quick time out and pick back up in just a moment. Robots can do a lot of things, but did you know that there's one that can do all of your writing for you? I call it the writing robot, but the official name is Jarvis AI, and it can literally write entire books, blog posts, emails, Facebook ads, Facebook posts, any kind of social media posts, actually. Video scripts, product descriptions, tweets, the list goes on. And all you have to do is tell Jarvis AI what you want to write and then click a button and it starts generating sentences immediately. You'll be able to write more in one day than you could in a month. But the best part about it is it creates 99% original content, meaning that you'll never have to worry about someone else having the exact same copywriting as you. So anytime I'm trying to figure out what to say and how to say it, I open up Jarvis AI and I just let it go to work. And you can too. You'll never be stuck staring at a blank page again. I promise you. Can a robot write better than you? Well, at this point, I'd have to say yes. To test it out yourself, just go to tpmfocus.com forward slash Jarvis. And that's spelled J-A-R-V-I-S. That's tpmfocus.com forward slash Jarvis. What prepared you in your career to be able to do this? When I first started, so I got my PhD in biomedical engineering and my first industry job was at what's now Boston Scientific Cardiovascular, but it was guided, which was a small, medium-sized medical device company. And I was working in the emerging therapies group. And our job was really to take our core technologies, which was pacing, and move that up the disease pathway and come up with new ways to use pacing. So we, in our group, part of our ability to be promoted really was how proficient you were at coming up with new ideas that were patentable. So I was able to become an inventor that way. And I got so interested in the invention process that I had my employer send me to get a patent bar exam training and I took the patent bar. So that's how I became a patent agent. Whoa, I I did not <laughs> know that about you at all. So everyone, it's not like, you know, Tamira and I are great friends or anything. We have met in person. Thank goodness for LinkedIn and how we were able to even know each other existed. And then we took it a little further and actually met in person one day when I was in her city. It is amazing how you meet people and you just don't even know the whole story. I had no idea about that. Did you ever have any interest in being a startup founder yourself and like taking some of your inventions and commercializing and going through that whole process? Yes, I did actually dabble in that myself. And when you are 
an individual and you're not associated with a university and you're not part of a company, it's very difficult to get traction on your ideas. So I tried to do, um, I worked part-time in an incubator when I lived in Maryland and kind of worked on the idea while I had clients. And it just never took off. And I think part of the reason was that resources are just very difficult to come by if you're not inside of a university or inside of a company. So when you say resources, is it money, people, equipment? All of the above. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So I I was wondering what you were going to say, because even in like companies that are just, you know, building a, a SaaS platform software or something that doesn't require clinical trials and all those different things, a lot of them will come out the gate and have a similar experience. But it's really because they're used to also having like a big brand backing them. So they're like, hey, you know, I came from Facebook, you know, and it's just like, yeah, but see at Facebook, you had Facebook brand. So just from having that Facebook.com email address, people would talk to you. Mm -hmm. And when you're coming out as, you know, the entrepreneur from this new cool SaaS product, they're like, oh, they just see it as spam. You know, that brand just, it just plays a big part in people even just opening the email and taking your call. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in your experience with working with founders, right? So what are some of the things that you see are other challenges that they experience, but also what are some things that you think that they should do differently to help their process move along better? I think one of the primary challenges has been when you're working on a healthcare technology it's very difficult to get from that ideal stage to actually first in human clinical trial. You need a lot of resources, depending on if you're an actual hardware device, so if you have an actual physical product, mm-hmm. you have a lot of prototyping needs that in some areas just aren't available. And you see more and more incubators that are coming on board that are focused on that hardware piece. Mm -hmm. Um, I've just been engaged with a incubator in Chicago called Impub that is really now uh, one of the first that are focusing on the hardware piece of the puzzle. So things are coming along where founders can actually get traction, such as the TMC program where you can come in and do an immersion and come up with ideas, and then they kind of help you to get started. You have the zero to five k program in Memphis that's similar to that. So there are more and more programs that are cropping up to kind of help build ecosystems around um, medical devices. And it sounds like both of the ones you just mentioned, you said TMC, where is that located? That's in Houston. Wow. Okay. So I I know Houston is definitely growing in regards to their startup and technology ecosystem. It's incredible. But I just want to note to everyone listening that the two places you mentioned are outside of Silicon Valley. So it is possible to be a successful entrepreneur, to be an inventor, to get access to resources you need and not be in Silicon Valley, especially in regards to health tech, or as you say, healthcare tech. 
I hear it both ways. Being that I'm not in, in, in the health field, I'm always fascinated by a lot of the things that I see come out of these incubators and accelerators. One in particular that I've supported for years is ATDC at Georgia Tech, and they're just now starting to really have a focus on that health tech device inventions and technologies. So what are some of the things I know everybody hops out the gate and they're excited to get started on their business, on their new idea. When folks are getting ready for putting together or preparing for clinical trials or whatever they need to do to get approvals, what are some things that they need to like consider in their due diligence? You know, sometimes, especially founders who have PhDs and they've worked in research, they think they know how to do all research. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I, I think <laughs> we've had that comment made on Unpolished MBA probably like three other times. So, <laughs> so, so I think the first thing they need to do is hire themselves a clinical consultant. They don't need a full-time person, but they need someone to help them to put together their protocols, their data collection forms to submit to IRBs, and also help them to make sure that they are collecting data in the right way, setting up their clinical databases. And the clinical database can be something as simple as Dropbox. Okay. But you don't need to go out and buy an EDC system, electronic data capture system at this stage. But you do need to have a systematic way that you are collecting the data and actually doing quality checks on your site to make sure that you're getting quality data. Ah, so that clinical consultant, is that what you would call what you do? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So at what point would a healthcare or a health tech founder need to reach out to someone like you to get involved in the process? When they are finishing up their preclinical studies and they're thinking about starting any human critical investigation, whether it's 10 people or 300 people. Whatever you're going to do when you first start, you should engage someone right from the beginning so that you can make sure that you have all of your systems and processes. In pl- well, you don't have to put together a big process, but you do need to systematically be collecting your data and you need to do that from the start. And if they don't, what's the consequences? And you don't, when you get to the point where you need other people to fund your work, you get into due diligence with either a strategic company like Medtronic or Boston Scientific Abbott or with a BC, they're going to want to look at all your data. They're going to want to look at your clinical study reports. They're going to want to look at your protocols and they're going to want to make sure that the data that you're presenting is actually real. We're going to take a quick time out and pick back up in just a moment. This show is sponsored by TPM Focus, the strategy and execution consulting firm focused on generating revenue and finding product market fit for new innovations. Head over to tpmfocus.com to learn more. Wow, that got me thinking about the Theranos scandal where, you know, the founder was supposedly collecting small amounts of of blood samples and was able to do whatever with it, which we found out wasn't true. So how does someone like that get away with that if people are supposedly checking these things? You know, I honestly have no idea. I've never been in a situation (laughs) where people didn't check 
Yeah. So I have no idea how she was able to, to pull that out. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, I've always been fascinated by that. Yeah. I'm still dumbfounded by it. And the thing is, it's like, I would encourage people to just keep in mind that if you want, you could do it right from the beginning, or you can get out. This is with any business. You can get along on your journey and, and think things are just fine. And then you're going to have to start all over again and do it the right way at some point. Is that something that you, you've seen happen quite often? Not that often because people, you know, already understand this or not, especially coming from, you know, the academic side of things. I'm guessing they would know that you should do this, but I don't want to make any assumptions. Uh, not necessarily. It happens quite often, especially if the founders are scientists. If you have a, a non-scientist founder, they are more likely to go look for that expertise early. Okay. But if your founders are, you know, PhDs in, in bioengineering or something like neuroscience or whatever, they think because they've run a lot of studies for their research that they can do clinical research because all research is the same. Mm. But that's where people kind of get tripped up. Oh. And kind of what happens is you have to go backwards and try to do forensic analysis on these folks' data mm-hmm. to try to pull together what they did, what they meant and try to pull together a clinical study report with partial information. So let me ask you this. Once people realize that they have to, you know, basically back up to move forward, do they invite you into that process? And if so, do you usually accept those opportunities or is that not something you want to, a mess you want to deal with? I will definitely accept those opportunities because it's a learning process for those folks. And also it kind of, you know, investigations are kind of fun sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sound just like a scientist or, or engineer. Oh my gosh. We love problem solving. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. But you know what? That's also the fundamental part of entrepreneurship. And most entrepreneurs are very curious and they want to solve a problem. It's, it's not just about making money. It's about mm-hmm. like solving this problem. So I really appreciate that about people who fundamentally, that's just who they are and who they've trained to be. Now, let's talk a little bit about, you said, all right, I'm an entrepreneur, but I also have, you know, corporate job. How do you manage, you know, and balance this? And, and is your corporate job in any way related to what you do in your entrepreneurship ventures? Yes. So actually I worked down a deal to work 80% with my company. I work with EBT Medical as, as their clinical research director. Mm-hmm. And they were one of my clients. And we kept adding time and adding time because they needed me to help them with clinical. So I said, well, I still want to have my time to do my entrepreneurial pursuits. So I'll build 80% so that I can have one day a week where I'm just totally working on my projects. Well, that's a great deal. Why is it important to you to work on your own entrepreneurial pursuits? I like to create new things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been working on on the side for a while, it has nothing to do with health tech or sciences, but it's a travel app. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. So what's that involved? I mean, we all have a variety of interests and hobbies. So, I mean, it's, it's no surprise to me. Most people are surprised I'm in real estate. I love it. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. Whenever I go travel, 
I'm always searching whatever city I'm going to. I want to know what's the Black experience in this place. So, for instance, when I went to Paris, I took the Black Paris tour. Oh, that's pretty cool. How did you find out about that? Just on Facebook. Um, like okay. in New York City, there's a walking slavery tour in Lower Manhattan. Wait a minute. What's it called again? Because I'm headed there in a couple um, weeks. It's, it, I can't remember what it's called. I'll send you the link. But, um, okay. But it's a, there's a walking tour in, in Lower Manhattan that talks about slavery in New York City and the actual influence of the free Black people during those times. And you'll hmm. be able to see those influences on that walking tour. And another thing I've also done in New York City is the Harlem bike tour. So I took a bike tour of Harlem. Mm-hmm. So I like to do things like that. And I know I have friends who love to do things like that. So my husband and I are working on an app that we call Experience Black. Oh, I love it. So you'll be able to use our app to map out your experiences when you travel and I will send you some ideas for New York City on the side. Oh, I will really <laughs> appreciate that. Because I'm right now, I'm one of those folks when I travel, I build an agenda. So I know what we're doing every day and to get the most out of the experience. I would love that. And your app sounds absolutely amazing. It just shows your creativity and also your systematic way of thinking which is so important in trying to build anything. So I appreciate you for being on the Unpolished MBA today and sharing a little bit about the process with our audience. What's the best way for folks to connect with you? LinkedIn, absolutely. It was the absolute best place to connect with me. Hands down, that's how we met. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to thank you again. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unpolished MBA podcast. To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.